So, but but once those pads come on, Tevin Jenkins is a son of a bitch. <laughs> Here, here. <laughs> oh, that was good. There is that the Bears offense is just like Tony's Wi-Fi, which is uh, struggling. Um. <laughs> Welcome back to the Irish Bear Show. It is great to be back. It's today has just gone crazy. Like the last couple of days, even with the combine, and then all the news just starts breaking today, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. But look, we are joined by Nathan Baird. Nathan, it is great to have you back on. I think this is now three years in a row we've had you on because there's been a hell of a lot of Ohio State prospects. Um, luckily, in the first year, we were able to uh, grab one of those guys in Justin Fields. We spoke about the wide receivers last year, and we kind of previewed a particular prospect that was going to be coming out this year. And then there's so many guys coming out this year that a lot of people are talking about. So it's great to have you on the show. I know you're at the Combine over the last couple of days. How did you find it this year? Oh, kind of the same as always. <laughs> it's um, it's it's a lot of uh, just trying to chase around for the the same scraps as as other people are getting at these sort of gaggle interviews, and then trying to parse the the numbers and the measurements and everything that come out and 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 balance them against each other and see what means something and what maybe doesn't mean a whole lot. And yeah, you're right. This was a year where uh, you know not a huge contingent by Ohio State standards. They only had eight guys there whereas they've had upwards of 14 uh, in recent years. But uh, by all accounts, especially the guys at the top, the top four or five guys that, that you would expect to be in the first four or five off the board for this draft, all seem to help themselves in Indianapolis this year. Yeah, and look, I think look, we'll start off because a lot of the, the talk, especially for, I guess, with, with what relates to the Bears being at one has been, trade rumors and the quarterbacks has obviously been kind of the main thing that people have been talking about. When you look at kind of these, let's say top four guys, but really when we're looking at it, I think if you're paying attention to the college football season, you're looking at Bryce Young, you're looking at CJ Stroud. What do you think some of these teams may see, I guess, as a between these two guys? Because I think if we were talking about this during the season, a lot of people had them kind of very close. And then towards the end of the season, obviously when the injuries kind of piled up on Ohio State, obviously not having Jackson Smith and Jigba for the entire year doesn't help. But then I think that's when you start to see people kind of push Bryce Young ahead. How good do you think in terms of the trajectory that CJ could be going into the next level? Because we've heard some teams seem to be interested more in CJ, some in Bryce Young, some in like Anthony Richardson and, and Will Levis. When you look at these quarterbacks and obviously – you've a kind of closer kind of, I guess, viewpoint from CJ this year. What do you see in him that you think that he should be kind of pushed to the head of that pack? 
Well, I think it just depends on what you value the most as Italian evaluator, or maybe just what you value the most as at this stage of your franchise. And it's interesting because these two guys have been compared to each other for so long. They came out of Los Angeles area together. They were, you know, heights, they were friends back in the day, still are friends to this day as their careers kind of went in divergent paths. And, you know, compared to each other through being Heisman finalists in, in 2021, both of them, when Bryce Young won the award. And there's just always been this head-to-head. And as quarterbacks, though, right now you're seeing the distinction. Because Bryce Young is, is I think, legitimately a really great playmaker and has been at the college level. And we have seen guys like that. Now that maybe people are a little bit more open-minded about what an NFL quarterback can be, we're starting to see players like that be able to go to the next level and have some success. Although a lot of times if they're smaller guys, they need to be pretty mobile, need to be able to hurt you with their feet. And that's not really Bryce Young's game. He and CJ Stroud are actually pretty alike in terms of how much they, they run, but you know, Bryce Young is a certain kind of playmaker. And then for CJ Stroud, he is more of just a pure pocket passer and, and was thought of as the most, a pure passer of this group, this upper echelon group, those top four guys you're talking about. And I think only reinforced that at the combine with the way he threw Saturday night. So he is, I would argue of those four guys, you mentioned the safest bet. I think the floor is the highest on him. The people that you hear a lot of comps for him on um, Ryan Tannehill or uh, Matt Ryan is another one I heard recently and people sort of snicker at those things, but man, even like a Jared Goff is maybe the lower end of those comparisons. But like, those are guys who were drafted really high, a lot of them, and they go on and have long careers in the NFL. And Matt Ryan could be in the hall of fame someday and won an MVP and, and almost won a, should have won a Super Bowl. Like those are really good NFL quarterbacks. So if you're a franchise who is looking for maybe that sort of certainty, and, and at the same time, that kind of upside, if you can get Matt Ryan upside out of a pick in the first round of the NFL draft, I think you probably think you can build a pretty um, consistent winner around him in future years. So, But at the same time, I think there is something a little bit more electric when it comes to Bryce Young as a playmaker. Um, Stroud, not until the Georgia game, the Peach Bowl playoff semifinal this past year, did he really get out and run and show that he can do that in a, a big way? It was always very... He's always seemed very hesitant to do it. He would sprinkle things in every once in a while. And even when he uses his legs, it's more to extend plays. It's not really to get out and run. And he talked about that. And we can talk about that if you want to uh, in more detail as to why he is like that. But it's, it, I, I think those are, are pretty stark contrasts. If you want that, the there is more of a, 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 a maybe modern quarterback playmaker upside with Bryce Young. I think there is more certainty and I don't mean that as like damning with faint praise. I just feel like there's a higher floor with CJ Stroud as far as somebody who's going to go out and be someone who adapts well as a passer to NFL defenses. Nathan, how you doing? Um, obviously, you come on uh, Chicago Bears podcast um, and the questions are going to be asked because we know uh, earlier in the offseason, a lot of questions over whether the Bears should go up and take one of these guys at number one overall or there or thereabouts. So my question to you is a guy who's obviously, you know, covers Ohio State. Look, you know, you've, you've seen the quarterbacks that have come out in the past. You've seen the quarterbacks that are coming out now. Um, where do you sort of compare um, C.J. Stroud with Justin Fields? Or would you, and again, even though, you know, in your analysis of Bryce Young as well, where would you sort of 
um, evaluate Justin Fields amongst those kind of three guys. Yeah, very different athletes, I think, all three of them. Because Justin, of those three, is the one who is the best pure athlete and had used his legs a lot more. He He's sort of, I mean, he has the size, the same size that Stroud has. Maybe he's a little bit more built, I would say. And but also is the fastest of those three guys and is willing to go out and use his leg as as he showed the world this past season yeah. had had and had to. I feel like I maybe misled you guys a couple of years ago because I remember coming on this podcast and others and people were asking about Justin Fields and his running ability. And I was telling people at the time, I'm like, yes, he's got that ability, but that's the secondary thing. He's a he's a pocket passer. He that's what he had to do at Ohio State. And he'll he's it, it was the thing that he had is like the he would play off of his passing by being able to run in this past year. He just went out and ran for all of the yards. And I think that is still, I'm still probably going to be proven true as the bears improve around him. And he doesn't have to take that weight in the offense. And it's that probably better happen because I don't think this is sustainable for uh, perpetuity, but Stroud does not run Bryce Young, as we said, is not a big runner. These are guys who, when they use their feet, it's to get outside the pocket and extend a play and make something happen. The best example of it um, in doing off-platform things was in the the Peach Bowl playoff semifinal. C.J. Stroud, there was a play that was was broken down. He got flushed out of the pocket, um, had to go to his right, and then throw a touchdown pass into the end zone. And that was sort of, I think, an eye-opener for people that this isn't just a guy who has all the time in the world with multiple uh, NFL, high NFL draft pick offensive lineman in front of him and these great guys running routes. He can go out and make a play like that if he has to against what might have been uh, maybe they weren't the best defense in college football this past year, Georgia, but one of the best and had obviously a two time defending national champion now. So um, Stroud learned a lot from Justin Fields. I think he, uh, as far as like how to approach uh, the game and how to approach his responsibility as a quarterback, but I don't think he has patterned his game after him because they are not. Uh, comparable athletes you know Justin was an upper echelon athlete even in baseball and other sports and CJ played other sports but he wasn't like a major prospect in those other sports the way Justin was and Justin just decided to go with football and for CJ I would argue now we'll come into the NFL though better prepared as a passer he uh, the way he reads defenses um, you know his philosophy of this game as a quarterback like his responsibility is to solve the problem before it happens to go up to a to the line and and see what the defense is going to do and know what he wants to do to counter that and be able to fix it by how he's how he makes his reads or something he changes the line of scrimmage uh before he allows the defense to to do what it wants to do there that's he, he, his, we've said all along that his brain is really his best asset. And it's, that's the one thing that doesn't really get measured in the public scope at the combine, but teams are certainly doing that in the interview process with him. And I think he probably is doing well being able to go in and, um, you know, chalk things up and talk scheme and talk film and talk through plays that happened, what went right, what went wrong, how to fix it the next time. Um, I think he's going to do well for himself there. So um, if this were another year, if the Bears didn't have Justin Fields, if they decided to go a different way two years ago and they needed a quarterback and they were drafting at the top, um, I think you could maybe make that argument that he would be he would be the better of the two for the Bears if they had to take a quarterback this year because the Bears offensive line is bad. And I, I, I don't know what let's let's I mean, they're going to be drafting. Oh, we know. <laughs> I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. They're going to be drafting offensive linemen. And we're probably going to talk about some of them before I'm done here. But uh 
I think Bryce Young being as slight as he is, and he, you know, he, he came in at five under five eleven and like a little over 200 pounds. And we'll see what he weighs at the end of the draft um, process or pre-draft process. If he's still up over 200 pounds, I think there's some question about that. Um, I think, you know, he can still hold up if you put him in the right system. I just think that for a system of a, a, a team franchise, like the bears and where they're at right now, you'd probably go with, with more certainty. So now as teams are going to be looking, there's some teams out there that need to trade up that probably will want that high floor of Stroud more than they will take a gamble on the higher upside of Young, if that makes sense. Because there's still a lot of upside with Stroud, too. Yeah, Young must have gone to the combine after eating about four Big Macs because I did not expect him to be over 200 pounds going there. We uh, in, in Indianapolis, I used to live in Indianapolis, and there's a steakhouse downtown called St. Elmo's that's like the famous steakhouse that like all the NFL people go to. And they have this shrimp cocktail that um, is really known for like its spicy cocktail sauce. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I wonder how many shrimp cocktail Bryce Young had to eat to get over 200 pounds. Because that's a lot of that's a lot of you got to really like horseradish to put away that much shrimp cocktail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I guess you mentioned it as well that there's going to be teams that are going to try and move up. There's been a lot of rumors today. I know on the Rich Eisen show today said that there's already teams that there's a basis of a deal in place. And I guess the question is then if you were running your own NFL team after knowing CJ and covering him as well, is he the type of player that a team should, let's say, move kind of the world for it to go up and get? Like we see that if you're like the Carolina Panthers, you're at nine, you're going to have to give up multiple first round picks and more to be able to get to number one to maybe get ahead of the likes of the Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans and others. Would you be one that would advocate for doing that and going up and getting CJ? I think it's tricky because uh, on one hand, and if you're the bears, I think you want a team like Carolina to fall in love with CJ Stroud and, and, and trade down to nine because the hall, as you just said, that you're going to get there, I think it's hard to pass up. You'd be getting, you'd still have a high first this year, you'd be getting first for the next couple of years. It's kind of a franchise changing trade for as much help as the bears need. And even though you'd have to pass yeah. up one of those big defensive guys, you're still getting maybe the best offensive lineman in the draft. You may be getting your pick of the best receivers in the draft at that stage. Like, I think you'd have to do it. Um, but is do these teams look at CJ Stroud and say he is worth that price? It's not like where would we draft him if we were number one? It's will we now pay this price to go all the way up to number one? I think if you're a team like the Indianapolis Colts, if you prefer CJ Stroud over Bryce Young, I think that is a price you would pay because you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're giving up you this year's first and second and, do you have to give up another first? You probably would have to give up next year. Probably, probably, I'd say when we were kind of doing the math on it, because normally you give up about twenty yeah. percent more. Yeah, I think it turned out that it was swapping the first this year. You'd get Indy's second round pick, and you get Indy's first round pick next year. Yeah, I mean that is that's still a big price, but I think you'd probably do it. I think if you're Indianapolis too, you you think. I mean, traditionally, they're better than that. Traditionally, they, they don't expect to be drafting at the top. Nobody does, mm -hmm. I guess, but except the Texans do. Like Texans, Cardinals, yeah. <laughs> like those teams draft at the top of the draft a lot, and there's a reason for it. And the, so those teams have to get this right. But I think if you're the Colts, maybe you think, well, yeah, we're giving up that first next year, but we don't expect to, to always be up here. And there's another team that I think that applies to even more that I think is is really intriguing this year. 
and I wonder what they're thinking right now in it's Seattle because they draft at five. Yeah. They also have a 20 in the first round. So they've got package this year where you can give up multiple firsts, get a quarterback. That's a team that definitely doesn't expect to be drafting this high in the first round. They don't know when they are going to again. And as good as Geno Smith was this last year, if you're them, you probably have to think about, um, is this our one shot to get a franchise quarterback for the next decade that we don't have to hope that he falls to us the way Russell Wilson did uh, several years ago? I mean, it happens and it, it's not incredibly uncommon, but people are getting a lot more savvy, I think, about the way that they evaluate quarterbacks. And it, it's a, it's a crapshoot to hope that that happens again in the future. So do you, you kind of seize the moment and take destiny into your own hands? And if so, who do you value more there? And I think that someone like Pete, Pete Carroll may be, you know, being a defensive minded coach, does he look at, well, I want the guy with a high floor because I know how to build the rest of this system around him. And we'll be strong defensively, and we just need a guy who's not going to go make mistakes, who's not going to be loose with it, who can be very reliable and can lead a system. Uh, that could be someone that they might prioritize over young. But I also think it's interesting. Do you let, if you think someone values young a lot and it's not you, let somebody else strike first and trade up to the Bears because they want young. And then maybe you can trade up. You have to hope the Texans aren't in love with Stroud and maybe you can trade up to two Texans also have yeah. two first round picks already though. So they may be digging in at two um, and taking the person that they like. So uh, I'm really intrigued. I think it's, uh, it's really fun to kind of watch this play out. Um, Cause I, I mean, there's those four guys at the top and Richardson um, just an absolute workout freak this past week. And Will Levis, I think impressed people at times with some of the zip he put on the ball. But I don't think anybody had a better throwing session than Stroud did. So no. again, it's it's what do you prioritize? And his it was there was a lot of just like dropping like deep outs into pillows with Stroud. And if that's if if you think that you can protect him and you're going to put some weapons out there and you don't need him to go out and be a playmaker with his legs that much and you want him someone who could just read NFL defense as well, I think I think he's a, a I I think you can justify trading up to number one and taking him if that's a guy you like over Young. Yeah, that's the question I was going to ask because. We've talked about the haul that the Bears could possibly get being, you know, this huge haul of maybe a first rounder this year, next year, the year after, depending on how far they drop down. So obviously what these people are, or what these teams are going to be giving up is is pretty monumental and, and it's going to be a lot, a lot of um, um, sort of ammunition. But would you say that the caliber of the quarterback available for that massive trade-up is in that same category of these like if you look at quarterbacks that have come out the last couple of years and the ones that maybe come out next year um you know for example you're the Texans sitting at number two do you say do you know what we're going to trade back pick up a haul and pick up a quarterback next year instead and kind of build the team a little bit do you mean so what do you think of the quarterback quality versus what folk are willing to give up this year in particular it's you know, that's kind of what I was alluding to before that I think it's it, it's tough because it's it, I think there's a correlation here to almost how free agency plays out. I've been thinking about this a lot as it relates to the Bears, because I, I grew up following the Bears, as I, I mentioned every year here. And I can remember another time when the Bears were like really thin at receiver. They had some cap room, so they wanted to make a splash in free agency, and that's when they went out and signed Musin Muhammad, who was like the big mm – -hmm. I'd put up all these numbers in Carolina. But it doesn't matter whether or not you're a great receiver. You just have to be the best receiver available in free agency that year. You get the big contract, and then I think he had a, a somewhat predictable run from there. It was like solid, but not a 
like great receiver for the Bears from that point on, even though you're getting paid like one. And that's sort of what happens here. I mean, it's a it's a it's a uh, controlled market. Like there aren't a lot of these guys. And if you do hit on one, like the it pays off in a way that it doesn't pay off at every position. Like you you hit the right quarterback, it pays off in a way that hitting the right cornerback or linebacker certainly, or even running back um, doesn't doesn't hit. Like you you know it, it pays off in a big way. So. I think you, to some extent, if you believe you, if you believe in the guy and it comes down to an individual decision, because every, every franchise is going to look at it differently, then I think you have to pay the price. Um, I, I sort of in the moment and people are going to be like absolutely destroying their computers as they listen to me say this in the moment I defended the, the Trubisky decision for the bears. Cause it was, it, it, I, I didn't, you know, it's not like I had an individual evaluation of how great he was at that point. It's more about if you think that's the guy and you think other guys are maybe going to trade up and take him, then you have to be aggressive and you have to go do it. And they were wrong. He wasn't the guy. It didn't, didn't work. Um, and they're paying for it now. And that's why they're drafting number one. But to some extent, that's uh, the, the, the shot you have to take. You just have to take it smart. So yeah. I, I think somebody is going, somebody, the bears are trading off of one. Like that's the, the bears are not going to draft number one in this draft. So now it's just a matter of, is that team coming from uh, really far down? Like you're saying, like Carolina, I think it's maybe about as far as somebody would jump. The next really quarterback needy team is probably the Titans at 11. And that would be a, a huge jump. And I don't know if that's how they really do business. I guess we'll see. Um, so w- would someone like Carolina jump all the way up from nine to one and pay those, all those extra first rounders? Um, I, I know. I think they'd have to consider it because I think they're actually pretty close. I don't think they're that far away. I think they have some tools there. They've got a quarterback um, background head coach now that has worked well with quarterbacks in the past. So um, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, I think it, it's very possible somebody would pay that kind of price to, to come all the way up. And because I think these guys, even if you don't think these guys are a Mahomes or uh, or whatever, I, I do think there is reasonable uh, certainty of, of high floor, assuming they stay healthy. Yeah, I think what makes this such an, and I've said this for the last couple of months, was the minute the Bears got that number one pick, what put them in a really good situation was the poor quarterback draft last year that came out yep. like, you looked at the teams that could potentially move up were under a little bit of pressure. Like you, you mentioned that you wouldn't think that the Indianapolis Colts would be one that would have to do it. But then when you have an owner there that is wanting to get a guy for the future, you have Chris Ballard, who's brought in veterans over the last couple of years and that hasn't worked out really. And it's tough when obviously Andrew Luck goes early on in your tenure there. But then you you mentioned it as well, Carolina Panthers. Like at some point, you need to go find your guy. You need to not just be trying the the short term options. Really, since Cam was gone, so there's a couple of interesting scenarios there. But look, if the Bears did move back and let's say outside the top five, one guy we spoke about last year when we were talking about Chris Olave, we were talking with Garrett Wilson, was the other wide receiver that we spoke about last year was Jackson Smith and Jigba, and obviously it was really unfortunate that he didn't get to play this year because a lot of people were excited to see what he could do, especially when they could have and had a pretty dynamic duo there with Marvin Harrison Jr. as well, just how he played. So this being kind of the first weekend, we've kind of seen Jackson kind of actually being able to work out. I guess before we get into kind of the type of player and stuff he is, 
do you want to let people know a little bit about what happened this year? Because obviously he had that hamstring injury. We've come and said that obviously it's, and he's meant, he mentioned it over the combine that he's never had an injury like that before, tried to get back and probably aggravated it. So can you let people know kind of what was the story this year with Jackson and how he ended up missing pretty much the entire season? Right. So obviously like a big season, big high expectations for him had uh, set a big 10 record for single season receiving yardage uh, in 2021, had that monster Rose bowl and, and he and Stroud were supposed to come in and just sort of wreck passing records this year. And halfway through the second quarter of the season opener against Notre Dame, probably some, it's probably some Notre Dame fans. I'm on your listening audience. I would assume um, takes a hit. And uh, at, at first we didn't know exactly what was wrong. Cause his helmet came off. It was kind of a hit to the back. We thought it could be a number of things, but it turned out to be this soft tissue hamstring injury. And he missed the next week, tried to come back the week after that. Didn't play that long. Didn't look right. Took another f- couple weeks off, came back for the first game after the off week. So I guess the seventh, eight, eight, seventh game of the year uh, against Iowa again, didn't look right. And then just never played again. He only got 60 snaps for the whole season. I think he had four receptions after having 90, whatever he had, I think um, as a, as a sophomore and just a lost season. And, you know, you can look directly at a game like the Michigan game that they lost. You can certainly look at the Georgia game and see where he would have made the difference. I, I, I think Ohio State might have been a national championship team this year if, if they'd had him, especially when you consider in that Georgia game, they lose Marvin Harrison Jr. to an injury. And now you're down to, uh, with the with the running backs they had out, you were down to um, a really interesting group of guys that were on the field for an offense playing for a national championship uh, in, late in that game. And it, it, it was just too bad because um, I was talking about this in something I wrote. You know, Ohio State had a guy, um, Marshawn Lattimore, during his career who his first two years had hamstring injuries that just would not go away. Like they were just, they they were just like shredded or whatever. He like couldn't get on the field. And then finally in his third year, he gets on the field and he's awesome. And he goes number 11 in the next draft. And he's now he's Marshawn Lattimore. And in some ways that's like a more satisfying resolution when you get to go out strong than it is for Smith and Jigba who showed how great he could be and this connection he had with Stroud and what he was going to mean for this offense. And they build the offense around him a little bit. And then he doesn't get to do anything all year. And it was this thing that really hung over the team until he finally shut it down. And he said he didn't shut it down until they told him that he couldn't play in the national championship game. If they got that far, that the leg just wasn't going to be, the hamstring wasn't going to be good enough. I know there was a lot of speculation out there about that. I, I never questioned the fact that he wanted to get back on the field because that every education we had, was that he was trying on a weekly basis to, to get back. In fact, I asked him this week at the Combine, do you regret how you handled it early? Because maybe if he had shut it down early and said, well, I'm just taking the first half of the season off, and we'll reassess. And he says, well, yeah, in hindsight, he wishes he'd done that. But as you were saying, like they, he didn't know. And these are unpredictable injuries sometimes. It's not like you break uh, a bone and it's like, well, this is the, the usual recovery time for that. Like hamstrings are just more unpredictable than that. And yeah. – uh, it just was well, one of those unfortunate things, and it'll be one of the lost seasons in Ohio State football history. But uh, the good news for him was what he came to the combine and did this past week uh, was important, and I think helped him a lot and may have pushed him back to being the number one receiver in this class. Yeah, to go, I guess, on the back, and I'll let you kind of come in here, Tony, as well as we often kind of talk about the impact that like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson had last year. 
a healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba, what do you think he could be at the next level? Do you think he can be as successful as those two guys were in their rookie year? Or do you think because really in that, like last year in 2021, we saw him primarily be out of the slot because you have Olave and, and Wilson with him. Everyone I think was hoping to see this year him be that kind of main guy and see what he could do. Do you still have full faith that if he is 100% healthy heading into his rookie year, that he can be as good as those two guys were in their rookie years? So a little bit different uh, as far as the kind of receiver that they are. So it's going to be how does a team decide to use him and what distribution of the offense does he get? Olave and Wilson, you know, Olave is a pure um, like Z. That's what he was at a hostage, yeah. like the perimeter receiver. And Wilson did both. He was a slot guy. He was an X guy. And um, obviously he was fantastic for the Jets and will, will do whatever they need to do, I suppose. And um, it, what he did this year speaks for himself. And Olave, I mean, both had great years. And I think the knock on Smith and Jigba, if you want to call it a knock, is that he may be limited to the slot. But that's become such an important weapon in the NFL that I think if you're a team that, uh, especially one that already maybe has a, a strong guy outside and just needs a complimentary piece, then to, to, to have a guy who's only going to be a slot guy, but now you've balanced your offense that way, I don't think that should scare anybody off. Uh, I thought two important things happened for him this week in Indianapolis. One was just showing up and getting through the workout and looking strong the whole time, which he did, uh, because we hadn't seen him do that in so long. And like I said, even those games where he came back during the season – just something didn't look right. He did not look like the Jackson and the Jigba old. And he did, I thought, Saturday night at, at Lucas Oil Stadium. And then the second thing was, then after that, he went in and tested. And, you know, some tests, you always think, well, how much does this really matter? Does does a wide receiver ever need to do the bench press and, and things? But there are those two drills that they do with the skill. Well, the, all, a lot, all the athletes do them, or McCann do them. The 20-yard the, the uh, shuttle and the three-cone drill. I mean, those are in so many ways, kind of slot receiver drills, right? It's like, yeah. what are you doing in, in a short space showing, uh, you know, change of, of uh, direction and explosiveness in small spaces and agility and just all those things. Um, that's, that's slot receiver stuff. And he posted the best times uh, in those things, not just of any receiver, but any athlete at the combine this year. And I think that should show people that, you know, this, you know, the, the injury is probably behind him. But more than that, like just how quality of a prospect he is. I know there's question out there about what he will run in the 40. Um, I think he he said he wanted to run the 40, but because he'd only been feeling like 100% for the last couple of weeks that he hadn't had enough times to rep it. You know, people, they take this seriously. They hire special coaches just to teach him how to run the 40 uh, as a sprinter because they know how yeah. much that number means. I mean, it's, it's kind of cynical, but it, it, it's true. And uh, so I understand, I guess, why he'd try to wait to Ohio State's Pro Day on March 22nd, maybe, to run that. At the same time, if he's telling the truth about that, that he's only felt 100% for a couple of weeks, and then he went out and ran those times where he had the best 20-yard shuttle time by, like, um, a quarter of a second and the best uh, three-cone drill by, like, three-tenths of a second of anybody at the Combine, then, I, I again, I think that just further answers the question that now he – you know, before I think the comparison was – um, maybe that Quentin Johnson was the number one receiver just because of his size mm -hmm. and more prototypical and, and could do more things and or be used more ways in an offense. And then it would be Smith and Jigba versus Addison. But Addison did not have a good combine. Smith and Jigba, I think, has separated from him. And then I think, again, now I think the question is, 
do you really value the extra two inches that Addison has? And he's got some jumping ability too. Do you value that more than what Smith and Jigba did in these agility drills? I could see that going either way, but he's put himself back in contention, I think, to be the first receiver off the board, whereas he had been really falling because of the injury for several months. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting part for this, for Smith and Jigba for me, because you look at a guy who all of a sudden, well, maybe not all of a sudden, but certainly in the last week or so, people are talking about, you know, top 10 pick. Um, you know, you rewind a couple of weeks back, he was in the 20s. Some people were talking a month or two ago about him being available at the top of the second round. Apart from the fact that, you know, he's only really had one full great season, do you think there's any other particular reason why this guy is jumping up and down evaluation boards and mock drafts? I mean, mock, mock drafts, you can take them with a pinch of salt, obviously, but even the evaluation of the quote-unquote experts, they're all over the place as well. What do you, why do you think that is? I know you talked about him being primarily just a slot receiver, but, I mean, surely after having that great season in 2022, people can see what he's able to do. So what is it that's, that's dividing people here, do you think? Well, as you look at uh, the combine, it's not any one number that's important. It's, it's any number as compared to all the others. And I think with Jackson, you know, from a size, from a height and weight standpoint, he measured in a little bit bigger than uh, Olave and Wilson both. Um, his jumps were right around the same. Now, what did both of those guys do at the combine know that, that made them top 12 picks or whatever? They went and ran numbers in the four threes. So, again, I think those agility numbers, those shuttle three-cone numbers are, are really important for him. They're big numbers for him, and he impressed the right people by doing that. Um, does he run the 40 at pro day, and does the number that he runs uh, scare people, or does it sort of reinforce everything that you saw on the field in 2021? Because the other thing to remember about 2021 was those two guys we just mentioned were still on the same offense as him. You, you, he was operating as the third weapon in an offense that had the offensive, the NFL offensive rookie of the year and a guy who finished like fourth and also went over a thousand yards. Like that was a, just a loaded receiver core. And I think that is something that people question as well. Now he had his best game, his most explosive games. He had a big game against Nebraska when Garrett Wilson was out. And then he had the Rose bowl when both of them were out. Now he was also being guarded by like running backs in that game. Yeah. We talked about some <laughs> secondary issues. I think we talked about that last year, but so how much, you know, how much weight are you putting in one versus the other? I don't know. Uh, I just think that in, in this whole process, it, there's a lot of nitpicking. There's a lot of splitting hairs and I understand it because they're making huge investments in these guys. And we're also getting, we're getting these expert opinions right now that get filtered through what they're hearing from teams. I thought one of the smartest things I heard in this whole process was Daniel Jeremiah from NFL network. We did a conference call with him a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know, he calls around to every team, but he said, when you want to get a good quarterback evaluation, you call all the teams that aren't drafting a quarterback early because they'll tell you the truth. They don't have to come up with a reason to try to uh, mislead you to get you off of the guy they really want or to push up the guy they don't want. So another team will feel more inclined to take him. You can get a better. And that tells you everything you need to know kind of about, you know, there are good reporters out there like him that try to feed through a good a analysts. Um, and try to work through it and get you the right, a good unvarnished opinion or uh, um, not a corrupted one. But I think what's happening right now is some of this is what the public sees, what NFL teams see and have been evaluating because they get to see practice film. They get to talk to the coaches who have a vested interest, not just in talking up their player, but giving honest opinions so that 
their opinions mean something in the future that are, are tell, telling them things. And like, I'm sure Brian Hartline is a well-respected guy among NFL front offices. And um, he, his, his word is probably going to carry something. And I think he is probably um, a, a big Jackson Smith and Jigba fan. I know he is, and has probably been telling NFL teams that. So um, I think what happened Saturday night was, was big for Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I think it only reinforced what you saw on the field in 2021 and what, people like Heartline and people around Ohio State have been probably telling NFL teams the whole time. Yeah, and look, I guess the, the whole thing for the Bears when they look at this is how, and we mentioned it earlier on the show, how can they best surround Justin Fields with the best talent from the draft, especially if you do move down. So, like, we mentioned the idea of the Carolina Panthers, and people have mentioned that Smith and Jigbeck could be an option there at the back end of the top ten, but uh, we we look at this in two phases, and obviously it's difficult when free agency hasn't happened yet, but we should know most of those signings by probably next Monday because that's really when we, we hear them all in the tampering period. But it, looking at these kind of options that Ohio State have out there, one guy that people have mentioned recently as well is Par- Paris Johnson Jr., um, the left tackle from Ohio State. You can also look at the likes of Dewan Jones a little bit later as well, the right tackle. And there's other guys from that Ohio State offensive line that are going to be in the draft this year. So I guess with that being said, what's your opinion of some of those guys entering the draft this year? Because we always see there's a big kind of, I guess, development curve that has to happen from collegiate football to the NFL in terms of offensive line play. So when you look at a guy like Paris Johnson Jr., how do you rate him coming into to the NFL draft? Because a lot of people don't don't when we see people analyzing kind of offensive line, you get a wide range of opinions. And for someone that has seen him up close and personal, I think it's very obvious the athleticism is there. You just have to watch how he moved, even in the combine, go back and watch some of the games. And he's a very impressive athlete. But as as someone who watched him very closely every single week this season and in previous years. What's your thoughts on a guy like Paris Johnson Jr.? So of the guys who were here as offensive linemen for Ohio State, there were three of them, and he's the one who, from the time he's been you know, early in his high school career, you thought would be here after three years, would have been at the Combine after three years at Ohio State. Yeah. He'd just been a, a national prospect, was a you know top five or ten prospect, a five-star guy coming out of his Cincinnati area high school high schools. He went to a couple actually. Um, and this was the plan all along that he would be here. Now, the one divergence from that plan was everyone thought he would be Ohio state's left tackle in his second year. They had a guy named Thayer Munford who stayed for a sixth year. And then they had Dewan Jones develop and become a starter on the right side in preseason camp in 2021. And kind of threw things off and Paris Johnson ended up spending a year after not playing a lot as a freshman, ended up spending a year as the starter at right guard. And we had a lot of debate on our own podcast, Buckeye Talk at the time, about how much that was like shafting Paris Johnson, that he wasn't going to get to um, play his full you know, development time at left tackle. And at the time I said, well, does it matter if he moves to left tackle next year and is like an All-American and, and shows people he's just fine there? And that's what happened. Like he was a, a multiple list All-American and um, I think maybe a consensus All-American and I had a great year. Um, gave up some sacks late, like I think one sack to Michigan, one sack to Georgia. Uh, but for the most part was exactly what you want from a left tackle. And he is a, you know, he, he referred to himself 
at the combine as a natural tackle. And I think uh, there may have been a, like a subtle, like a, what's that? Like a verbal subtweet of Peter Skaronsky there, the tackle from Northwestern. Cause that's the conversation that's going on right now is who is the top tackle in this class. And there are evaluators out there who question whether Skaronsky is a tackle in the NFL. He's, his arms are like four inches shorter. Um, I don't think he's thought of as having the same um, like um strength profile maybe as Paris Johnson Jr. And there were questions for Paris to answer in that regard too. Um, but he went out and even though he has the 36 inch arms, which I think were the third longest arms at the combine, every, the only three players with 36 inch arms were all Ohio state players. I don't know how that happened this year. They just have them like <laughs> hanging off of beams in the Woody Allen or Woody Hayes athletic uh, complex, I guess. Um, the, he, I think he did 29 bench press reps, which is, which is good for arms of that length. So, I think he's answering some questions about strength. Uh, you and then the the opinion is mixed on Skaronsky whether he had a good combine or not because the there were questions that people thought maybe his arms were short. Yep, his arms are that short. But then he went out and had some good uh, like in the jumps. He looked explosive. Had some I think some other good testing numbers. So uh, that may be again kind of we we're talking about the quarterbacks like which do you value more and uh, especially if you absolutely need a left tackle, but. I'm I mean, Paris Johnson, you know, again, coming out after three years, you're still getting him with a lot of upside. And mm-hmm. I think whoever gets him is probably getting a left tackle for a long time. Um, very skilled guy, very uh, head on his shoulders, the right way kind of guy has been involved in like in charitable work in a big way, um, had a, you know, established a foundation when he was in like high school, like before all this name, image and likeness stuff started coming up and, and athletes started to use that money. He was way ahead of that. And part of it was, I think he saw his NFL future and he saw guys in the NFL would do things like that and make a difference. And he was like, well, I, why can't I just start doing that now? And went out and did it. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a big addition to a, a, a franchise and a, a community, which is nice, but he's got to be able to play too. And yeah. I think he can, I think he'll, I, if, if he's the first tackle off the board in this draft, uh, that'll make a lot of sense to me. And I know that he's been projected, whoever is the first one off the board has been projected like bottom of the top 10 or maybe even into the early teens before a tackle comes off the board. If you look back at the draft, that doesn't usually happen. Like the first tackle usually goes higher than that. So I would think a top 10 is is becoming increasingly likelier for either him or Skaronsky. Yeah, it's it's a strange one because normally when we talk about kind of very good offensive tackles, you don't typically see them falling and it's it's a strange year that we obviously when you have four quarterbacks that people are saying will go in the top five six or seven and then people talking about obviously the likes of Jalen Carter talking about Will Anderson Tyree Wilson it's it just seems like guys are like those type of players are falling down a, a little bit in terms of I guess fans eyes it may not be that way for the teams right. I would not be surprised if there's teams that have one of these tackles in the top five or the top six because if they think that they are a good tackle we know from even just looking at free agency, like good tackles don't get let go by teams. So it's it's going to be interesting on that. I, I do want to say one thing. Do we have one guy on, on our show and he's actually in, he's in the background at the moment. I'm going to bring him in because it seems like a little alarm bell rings anytime he hears Skaronsky with small, with small arms because we were having a debate on WhatsApp over the last couple of weeks on this. And we were kind of debating Braxton Jones with the Bears or Peter Skaronsky. So then 
I see, I saw him there in the background as you were mentioning Paris Johnson Jr. So I'm gonna let him come in and ask you a couple of questions on that before before we let you go because I know he is a, a fan of that. And Seth, welcome to the show. You're on mute, so make sure you get yourself off. But oh, hello, I'm, I'm, I know I'm you off. Were dying. I'm off mute now. We're, I we're knew you were go. dying in the background, so go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, I. It, it just it. I'm probably one of the few people who who really beats the the drum for Skronsky. Um, I personally, I, I kind of have a one, a one B, uh, with your guys's guy from Ohio state. I have my support Michigan, by the way, Ohio so state. this is why <laughs> um, we don't, this is why he's in the background. <laughs> um, but I, start fighting, Seth. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how, how teams really evaluate him because I mean, if you go back a year ago, uh, Slater who ended up getting drafted mm-hmm. with the chargers, I mean, Yes, he had longer arms, but I, you know, defy any of you to show me with your your two fingers the uh, the difference in length of, of both of their arms and how much that really makes a difference. Because I think it's, you know, like point point five inches different or point seven five inches different between the two, which probably doesn't make that much of a difference in in all honesty in my eyes. But I'm not an O line expert. Um, but yeah, I just uh, had had to jump in on that front to defend defend my boy. <laughs> well, with, with Johnson and Skaronsky, it's like four inches. I can do that for you. It's like it's like that. It's like it's, yeah, it's more significant. But I hear what you're saying because I think, like I was saying before, all of these all of these numbers play off of the others. You know, um, it, you uh, if you run really fast, but you're five eight, it doesn't mean as much as if you run really fast and if you're a, a, a better size than that. So um, all those things play off of each other. It's it's the whole package. Yeah, I guess before we let you go as well, obviously. We've spoken about some of the guys here that we know are going to be kind of those first round picks. As you said, there's eight guys currently this year that are slated to enter the draft from Ohio State. Is there anybody that is entering from Ohio State that you haven't seen a lot of people talking about that you actually think when you look at them net kind of maybe not even be in their rookie year, but eventually in the pros that you think they will be a good pro, that they will be able to transition quite well to the NFL game that maybe we're not all talking about because everybody focuses on the first round guys. But as you mentioned, there's other guys that are going to be coming into the draft from Ohio state as well. So a guy we should talk about, I think you mentioned him in passing was Dewan Jones, who people are talking about because he's just, he was just the hugest guy at the combine (laughs) tallest, heaviest, biggest wingspan, longest arms, longest hand, biggest, widest hands, like just all of those size things. He won them. And, um, has also gone out and then they ran like a five three six forty, which is not a fast forty unless you're six unless eight you're his plus three hundred seventy four <laughs> pounds. Yeah, so not a guy that I don't think is a left tackle in the NFL, at least not right away. He would probably take some more development to where you trust him on the left side. But you have to be a good pass protection guy at either side in the NFL because you've got an NFL defensive end going against you either way. But in the run game, uh, just mauls people. Did not give up a sack this past year and. Um, he had the longest arms at the combine, had a, had a wingspan of almost 88 inches, which was, I think it's the second longest wingspan that they've recorded there. But when he did it, he actually had a longer one at the senior bowl. I don't know how he shrunk wingspan wise in the course of that month or whatever. But um, so he has the wingspan of someone who's like seven, five or whatever it is. Uh, so a lot of the physical traits that are, are outliers. And so what right now the bears have what they have 54 in the second round is where they pick because they yeah. traded away the, the early second. 
But if they're trading, they're not going to get him at 54, I don't think. I think he's done enough things to push. Like, he may be a late first-round guy at this point, um, or, or, at least, or early second round, because I think a lot of people have a second-round grade on him, but those guys at tackle, as we were just saying, tend to, to drift up. But if the Bears are picking up an early second as they trade down, which we all expect them to, to do, then maybe he's somebody in play for them, especially if they don't go offensive line in the first round. If they went for a receiver in the first round, or if they're only trading down to four and they decide to take Jalen Carter or – um, Will Anderson, whoever's there, then maybe someone like a tackle like that would be on the board for them still early in the second round. And then um, someone else, I guess, to throw in that conversation for the same reason as Luke Whipler, who was the center at Ohio State, was kind of a surprise to come out early. Uh, also had a good combine. Nobody from an interior line standpoint, especially from a center standpoint, I don't think blew anybody away this um, with their combine performance. But for a guy who was coming out early and maybe wasn't quite as high on people's radars, um, had some posted some good numbers and some of the agility stuff and is just a, a super smart guy. I think he has also an attitude that would play well in Chicago. He's a Jersey guy, but I think would fit well in a just kind of Chicago style uh, as someone who used to live in Chicago and is, is well acquainted. I think it would, I think he would play well there. So in the like third or maybe even fourth round, I think if they were to like, if he's on the board early in the fourth round and they haven't gone offensive line heavy, I think that's that's someone that you may see them grab early in the fourth round because uh, I think there is there's upside there from from having just a long term stability standpoint. He's not a huge center, although center is not where you necessarily look for huge guys. But um, just again, super smart, strong guy um, has maybe athleticism you wouldn't expect. And again, coming out after his third year, you're getting a guy who still has like positive development. You're not getting a guy who's already started to maybe peak. You're getting some early years where you can still get the best out of him. Yeah. Seth, you wanted to ask a question? Yeah. So one Ohio state guy that I don't see many people talking about, but I do think, you know, bias aside with proper coaching, I, I think could make an impact in a year or two. And that's Ronnie Hickman jr. I think he has the athletic tools and, you know, the ability to, I see it as more of a, you know, free safety, um, in the right scheme and the right coaching. I think, I think he could be a, a really quality player. I think it'll take him two ish years, but he seems to be a guy that, you know, the earliest people have him going is the fourth round. And I've seen right. some mocks, you know, in the sixth round, but I, I think he's got some solid potential and, and could learn, you know, sit behind an Eddie Jackson type and learn in this system for a few years. I would bet that there are probably really varying opinions on him among front offices right now. Cause I've, if there was someone who told me they had like a top 100 grade on him, I guess I wouldn't be shocked. But if there were people who said we really like him, but we want to take him in the sixth round because of the things you're talking about, that it might take a couple of years and maybe he doesn't develop into like a frontline starter, but he, he is going to be a useful guy for your defense. I would understand that too. I guess he did a lot of things for Ohio state. I mean, he came in, it was a freshman in 2019 when they were still running a single high safety defense and that the, the vestiges of that were kind of hanging around for a couple of years. And then he became more of a, a um, like a strong safety uh, in a two safety system, led them in tackles in 2021, which is not necessarily something you want your safeties doing, but it, it spoke to just his ability to come up and make plays and be a reliable guy at the back end of a defense. And then this past year moved in a new system to a position that uh, Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator calls the adjuster, which most people would just call free safety, essentially what it was. And um, 
was not uh, expected to come up and make as many tackles. I think he finished like sixth in tackles this year, but that was because the defense overall was somewhat better. And they, you know, they had linebackers coming up and making the tackles they were supposed to make this past year. So he has done a lot of things. I think that helps him as far as getting in the league and making a roster, which is way more important than getting drafted or where you get drafted. Uh, I think he's someone like you're saying, I think, um, if, if Ronnie Hickman were on NFL rosters for a long time because he finds a way to get in and either get a niche and, and really run with it. And, you know, I, don't, I, I do wonder a little bit if he's going to get tweenered a little bit. Like, does he have the high-end athleticism and speed and things you want from a true NFL free safety? Is he big enough to be a strong safety in the box against NFL teams? Is he – I don't know if he's quite – what you'd look at is like a nickel corner. Uh, I don't think you can transition him there necessarily. Um, so I, there is a, I have some questions about that, but there are also things he did all, not the nickel corner thing, but the others, all the safety stuff he did for a team that plays at a very high level and is on, on stacked rosters and goes to the playoffs and, you know, things like that. So um, I, I agree. I think there's a place for him and I know the bears need defensive help. And uh, I, I would agree that like fifth, sixth round, if he's on the board, that might be somebody that they look at as someone who, when you're just trying to collect guys who can play football, who you know can play NFL football, and then worry about where they fit later, I think he could be a, a really good addition. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's why you, you do kind of look for, especially when you get into the later rounds, is what can, can you see somebody that has a trait here there that you feel that you can develop? They don't have to play straight away, but because we know what kind of kind of fifth, sixth, seventh round guys are like, you can get lucky with one or two, but then the majority of those guys don't tend to make the roster anyway. That if you can find somebody that has that little bit of talent that you look at and you say, okay, maybe what it didn't fit perfectly within the system that they were, or they weren't able to excel as that like out and out starter, but we can see them playing this role for us then that's where those kind of those draft picks make a lot of sense. And that's when you see kind of the later round guys that team see, well, they can fit this role. It may not be our starting free safety, but in this particular package, I think that he can do very well here. And I think that's what you look for for some of these guys. But look, before we let you go, Nathan, it's it's been a lot of fun having you on the show. I know it's going to be really busy um, for you over the next couple of weeks. I know, this is like a down week for, for you to kind of relax a little bit before it gets too crazy. But look, how I know you've a lot of stuff. People will listen to all these different prospects from Ohio State. Do you want to let people know kind of where they can read your stuff, even if we're coming into next year? Because you have no idea the amount of people that we've said when it comes to the trade that will say, you need to get a 2024 first round pick so you can get Marvin Harrison Jr. So I'd say there'll be a lot of Bears fans that will be very interested in your article. So do you want to let people know where they can find all that stuff? Well, if, if the Bears want Marvin Harrison Jr., then they either need to stink again or <laughs> whoever they're trading with really stinks again. Because I think I had someone tell us at the Combine this week that follows the NFL that if Marvin Harrison Jr. were in this class, the Bears would probably not be trading off a of number one. They would probably not just surprising. be taking Marvin Harrison Jr. number one. They don't need a quarterback, but you can't pass up a receiver that good at that spot. Um, so uh, that should tell you something about where what, what people think of this guy. He is legit. I think it, one of those guys that when he comes in, you think, oh, well, his name 
pushes him out there, right? And then he's, I think he's exceeded he's ridiculous. Uh, of that. So um, now last we were talking about it. Now we're jinxing another Ohio State that, receiver because last year we did this. That's what. That's why you need two first round picks next year, Nathan. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think you might be right. Um, it's something to think about. Um, yeah. yeah, people can follow me on Twitter at nwbaird. They can uh, read all our stuff. Cleveland.com/slash/osu. If there's some Ohio State player that you're curious about, just type their name in to Google uh, and Cleveland.com, and anything we've written about them will come up. And we've written a ton about Jackson Smith and Jigba and Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones and C.J. Stroud, certainly, and all those other guys that we've talked about. And uh, listen to the Buckeye Talk podcast. We do them five a week. Uh, we were doing a lot of NFL draft uh, combine stuff last week while we were there. We're still going to be talking about NFL draft stuff going forward, but we'll be talking about Ohio State players all the time. So if there's somebody that, again, you're looking for 2024, the you know Marvin Harrison Juniors and players like that that are coming, some of the defensive players that are coming for Ohio State, listen in there, and, and we'll be chatting about them a lot. Yeah, we might be annoying you if the Bears end up with Paris Johnson Jr. or Certainly. Jackson Smith and Jigba. So we'll be we'll be getting you back on anyway. But look, you know how to you find so me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nathan, for joining the show today. Sure thing. Cheers, right, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you. Look, it's it's always good having Nathan on the show. He's very knowledgeable when it comes to kind of Ohio State. And this is something that we will be doing over the next couple of weeks. We'll be getting different reporters from different teams. Focusing in on some of the main kind of draft guys that people are talking about. So if there's specific kind of reporters from different colleges you want us to have on the show, that will be one of the things that we will be doing over the coming weeks. Because again, look, Ohio State's a good way to start. There's so many guys that are slates going to the top 10, top 20. Obviously, with all the talk about Jackson this week, I think it was a good time for us to do that. But look, before we end the show, there's been a lot of comments, so we appreciate all of them. Um, there has been a lot of news today. So before we do end the show, we will kind of mention some of that stuff as well and get some of your opinions on it. I did do a video a little bit earlier on today about Orlando Brown Jr. Obviously, he isn't getting tagged, which I think the expectation was that he would get tagged. So that's going to be one interesting point. Um Rich Eisen today basically saying that the Bears are not far away from trading the number one overall pick, that they already know the teams, they know the basis of a deal already, and now it's just pretty much finalizing it. And look, this is where we'll kind of do our kind of last point today because I think that's the most important part. I would, I'm starting to get to the point of where I would be surprised that that doesn't happen within the next couple of days. The fact that some of these rumors are coming out and a lot of people around the league are saying that the Bears are very are talking very loudly, I think it was Mike Go Jr. mentioned today. You obviously have a couple of other, the actual national guys that do a lot of good work on trying to find information are coming out saying that the Bears are very likely to move off that number one pick. I think if they're doing it this early, it's for two reasons. Either there's some player that actually has been involved that they are very interested in, or there's a team that are willing to trade, like we mentioned on the show, the world for. Because you don't trade this early. Have your GM come out on a national show yesterday saying that we know we can get a 24 first-round pick, a 25 first-round pick, you ain't doing that if you don't think you're getting that in 
in a trade coming up pretty soon because you look stupid if you say, I know we can get a 24 first round pick, a 25 first round pick, and then suddenly a couple of days later you trade the first overall pick and you don't get that. So I think that's a really interesting point. Tony, I know we spoke about this before we started the show today. What's your kind of opinion on on this? What do you kind of sense could be going down this week? Yeah, well, I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that I think it's going to happen before free agency starts. So, I mean, really, that's Monday. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm thinking at some point in the next seven days, we're going to have our trade go down. You know, as I mentioned earlier on, whether it's the final trade or not, we don't know. It depends how far they go back. You know, if they go back, maybe be Houston initially. Um, you know, I could see them trading the back again during the draft or even before then. Um, but if they go back to, say, Carolina or even further back, then that's likely going to be the only one that happens instead of instead of going back the way. Um, and we can still pick up some some kind of great uh, prospects. So, yeah, it's building momentum. Um, everyone on Twitter seems to think something's going to happen. The eye emojis are everywhere. Um, so that's always that's always a great I love scene. It. Something's going to I happen. love it. I'm telling yeah. you, like the the minute like Monday starts, even before all the rumors coming in, all I'm gonna be doing is just putting the IMOG on. That's it. Doesn't I like matter. to do it just a wine full cup. Not that oh, it's great, care, but still, uh, you know, it's, it's why not? But yeah, I mean, it's 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 going it's going to happen soon. And to be honest with you, I I've, if I'm Ryan Poles and you've already got, I mean, clearly he must have some decent offers on the table for him to be in the media spouting. That, that he thinks he can get a first next year and a first year after. He's got to have something on there. It can't be just the case of, I'm going to put that out there and try and entice people to trade up. Um, there's got to be some sort of substance to it. So um, I, I think he's probably just trying to push this to the very, very edge to make sure that no one else wants to throw their hat in the ring before he yeah. pulls the trigger. So even over the weekend, we can see something happen. Um, and for me, I'd like to know where we stand going into free agency Give you a better idea of what what you should be kind of what you'll want to be targeting in a free agency, and where you're going to be in the draft as well. And the funny thing is, is you know I know we spoke about Paris Johnson Day and guys like that, but the more and more I think about it, I don't know what it is. I just have this feeling that we're going to be taking a tackle higher than we thought we were going to take a tackle, and I don't know. There's this. I don't know what it is. It's just something niggling in the back of my head. And one for the guys in the chat because this is a bit of a a disagreement that we've had between us and the Irish Bears show in terms of the left tackle position, right? So Let's go. guys in the chat, right, get your get your opinions in here. So as you know, I'm a big fan of Braxton Jones. Now, I would be happy to continue with Braxton Jones as my starting left tackle. You know, suffice to say, he's got to make the necessarily improvements this offseason. However, um, the other thing you have to look at is what are the options to replace him with? Now, I know a couple of people are looking at free agents. The only person, the only way I would look to replace Braxton Jones for me personally is maybe by taking someone in the draft this year high up. And maybe it could be Paris Johnson. Um and, and you and you move Braxton to the right or or you or, or something. But for me, um I'm I'm not taking a guy like Orlando Brown Jr. on a ridiculously over-the-top deal with, you know, his past um, ability not to mix um, mm-hmm. unless he gets his own way and cause an upset in the locker room. But that's just my opinion. What do you guys think? Would you rather have 
Orlando Brown Jr. or one of those big name free agents to replace Braxton Jones if you were going to replace him at all, or maybe look for someone in the draft. Yeah, look personally, and uh, just to go on the comment that I had up on the screen there, um, they can agree in principle to a deal, but the deal just couldn't be actually made official until the 15th. It'd be yeah. the equivalent of if they wanted to do a deal with a team to where they could get a 2026 first round pick, they just wouldn't make it official until draft day. That's the way it would work. They can do all these things like way ahead of time, but it's just it won't actually become official until that day. Um, but realistically, I, I've kind of thought about this as well, Tony, and I've always said that I don't think you sign a guy like Orlando Brown Jr. for a hundred plus million if you anyway believe in Braxton Jones. Because I don't think you can go and let him play left tackle for the entire year, come out at the end of the season, be praise him for the work that he's done, and then at the first opportunity replace him for a guy that isn't like when we look at Orlando Brown Jr., look I did like a, a very quick video on the earlier that I kind of gave my thoughts on, on that as well. But like, realistically, do you want to go and spend the hundred and so million on him? Or do you want to go and get maybe two guys at different positions? Personally, I think you ride with Braxton Jones. If you like somebody in the draft and you think it's an upgrade, okay, I'm fine with that because you're still building for the future there. But I'd rather just go and get your right tackle get that sorted, have them next to Tevin. Maybe if you want to improve your offensive line even more, bringing in like a left guard that can replace Cody Whitehair. But realistically, I've always thought that the Orlando Brown Jr., he, he wasn't as bad as some people made him out to be in terms of the season. Because really, when I was looking at it earlier today, like after week seven, he, I think he only gave up like two sacks after that point. His, and that's something that is interesting. I personally think that the Bears stick with Braxton Jones because I do think Ryan Pauls believes in him. But then I think what they'll do is they'll sign a guy like Mike McGlinchey or Juwan Taylor. I don't think they're going to sign Caleb McGarry. I think he's going to go back to Atlanta. It seems that's the case. A lot of insiders over that cover the Atlanta Falcons think that that's a very likely scenario that he does go back there on an extension. Um, he may test the market and then just go back, but I don't think he's going to be coming to Chicago. I think if you're looking at a right tackle, it's likely one of Juwan Taylor or Mike McGlinchey. And if I'm being honest, I think I would prefer paying one of those guys like 70 plus million than paying Orlando Brown Jr. $100 million because that's what he's going to want because he's the only legitimate left tackle that's available in free agency. So he's going to get overpaid by a hell of a lot. But you have a few options at right tackle to where I don't think it's going to get to that crazy amount to where you're paying like a four-year deal, $105 million or something like that, when I think that's actually where Orlando Brown Jr. is going to get. Hence the reason why I think they haven't got a contract extension done. I don't know why they I don't know why they didn't tag him. Maybe they're tagging somebody else because it seemed two weeks ago they were gonna tag him. So something has happened with the Kansas City Chiefs to where their plans have changed. So that is something to monitor because that's a good organization that their right tackle is also is also going to be hitting free agency. So that offensive line is in flux when it seemed like they only fixed it two years ago. 
yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that. But I've got a <clears throat> scenario for the chat slash YouTube because you know I'm kind of in flux. I'm not tied to basically anybody on this line except Tevin Jenkins because I mm-hmm. think he has the highest ceiling. If you were to say sign a Juwan Taylor, yeah, and you're planning on trading back in the draft, and somebody offers you let's say a conditional third worth up to a second for Braxton Jones. Do you roll the dice on that trade and try to draft a left tackle or do you hold fast? I, I hold fast Same. for really? a for couple, a of, couple of reasons. Second? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, in, in the day you're, you, you know, someone's giving you, and I keep saying this, someone's giving you a lottery ticket. Um, you know, and you're getting that and it might not work out the way you want. Whereas for me, I think you've got a situation just now where you have a serviceable left tackle who could blossom into something else. At the end of the day, he's a fifth round pick coming out of the coming out of a smaller school. A lot to learn, you know. That's why he's not a first round pick. Um, and that doesn't mean to say that he can't be that sort of caliber of player. He's got he's got some development requirements but but no I, I think it's, it's and as well if someone's offering you a second round pick for him um i think that just shows that people also think there's something something good there you know so um i, I think i don't know I, I i would probably just hang fire um with him i think we're going to pick up a lot of draft picks anyway with the trade down so i don't think it's really a requirement to get rid of a guy a fifth round uh draft pick in his second year of his contract um just for 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 the sake of it, I would hang I would hang on to him personally. What do you guys think? I I agree because and I've said this because it's not like Braxton Jones came from the likes of an Ohio State, a Michigan, a Alabama, where you're constantly going up against the best competition in college football for two or three years, right? We when we were looking at it, people were saying, look, the coaching wasn't up to that level where he was where he was being coached in college football. So it's already a big shift from going into that to then trying to work out for combines and doing your pro days, going into the draft. You basically get a week off and then you're into rookie minicamp. Then it's like you're into your OTAs, you get about two weeks before you're into training camp. Braxton Jones, from the moment that he was drafted and the moment that he went into rookie camp, played left tackle for the Bears and was never moved. And the fact is that he went through all that process but without really getting an opportunity to work on his game because they don't have time. And that's what you hear most rookies say. The difference from one year to the next, from year one to year two, is they actually get time to work on their craft. The year of them getting drafted, they don't. They don't get any time. Because they spend the entire offseason trying to learn the playbook and trying to get up to speed with the offense or defense, depending on who you are. But like that's where I'm like, I don't think you can give up on him because for a guy that was drafted in the fifth round, I think he played very, very well. And if you, I, I think he's at least earned the opportunity to begin the 2023 season as the left tackle for the Bears. And the way he plays in 2023 will dictate what they do. If he is the exact same from what we saw last year and he does still struggle with bull rushes and stuff and doesn't get stronger, I think if we have this conversation next year, I think most people will be saying, 
we need to go get a left tackle because he's just not strong enough to anchor that position. But there's no reason to say, like, let's say the Bears replaced him. Well, then what happens if he went out in the offseason and actually did get stronger and did do that and improved that and actually was very good then next year? You've then given up on a guy that can legitimately be your left tackle and for the next three seasons is basically costing you nothing because he was a fifth-round pick. Like, in an ideal world, what happens is he gets better this offseason, gets stronger, keeps on developing, and even if he's an above-average left tackle, you're helping yourself because you're not paying him a lot. And then when it comes to the time of when you need to pay him, then you make that decision because I think right now it's, I think it's too premature to, to talk about replacing him. It's different if it's like a guy that you believe is like an all pro left tackle, absolutely can't miss. Let's say a team for some reason just can't get a deal done with someone or they're really struggling against the cap where a guy badly wants to leave or, there's a draft pick they really believe in, like Paris Johnson Jr., and that's the reason that he's replaced. Okay, but for just getting like a third-round pick or a guy that hits free agency because another team didn't want to keep him, I don't think it's worth it. I think you stick with the young guy and hope that he can develop in year two. And I think that's probably the best way it kind of works out at that point in time. But look, it's I think this is going to be an interesting couple of days here we do have a couple of shows coming up for you guys tomorrow i think it's uh, anthony will be talking to a vikings reporter and be continuing his kind of series of kind of the i guess the talk of the nfc north and seeing what the other teams could possibly do he spoke to a lions reporter last week don't particularly want to talk to too many packers reporters so it might not they he might not end up doing that one but look Especially with it being busy, but no, one's, on no one's willing to come on the show to speak Packers. They're all too scared. <laughs> if there's any Packers watching the show or anybody that you know is a Packer, tell them to come over. We're actually kind of nice, all right? We're not going to make no, it too uncomfortable. They've no, got us all blocked on Twitter anyway. <laughs> no, Tony, don't, don't, don't be, don't try and make us out to be nice people that like Packer fans. We don't. Like I, I'm willing to admit that I don't like any of them, but now we, we, we do joke. It's uh, it, like, it will happen. It's just likely not going to happen prior to free agency. And um, so that will be one that might come before the draft time, but we will have a show on Wednesday doing all the previews for free agency. We'll be taking all of your questions. We'll be talking to you about all the different rumors that could be coming out as well. Like we'll be joined by Jeff from, uh, the Bears blog as well. He'll be joining us at, I think it's 4 p.m. Central time. We'll be going through everything that day and kind of previewing kind of the craziness that will be happening starting from next Monday. We will be live on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week going through all of this, having like the breaking news sounder go about 50 times every single day. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It was go ahead now, or Tony. No, I was just going to say, please. I missed the breaking news. It hasn't come out often enough. Like, it has to come out. I was actually genuinely hoping we'd have some breaking news during the show today. And I keep sort of dragging it out just in case something happens. Because you know what will happen? We'll come off the show and 20 minutes from now, the Bears will make a trade. And we'll need to come back on the show again. So, yeah. Yeah, that's just going to do it in the next couple of minutes. That'd be great, please. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's the minute that we end this show the bears are going to announce that they've traded the uh 
first overall pick with one of these teams and it's just going to go kind of crazy hopefully it happens on wednesday when we're doing the live show and we get your guys questions and your guys opinions on it but look i think it we are going to see a trade come pretty soon over the next couple of days so it's going to be a lot of fun like we said there's a lot of rumors out there with the bears there's a lot of kind of free agents being linked to the bears right now some of the guys that we've spoken about already on some of our shorter videos so make sure you do check those out there will be a couple more coming this week as well like we said the latest one was the orlando brown jr today we'll have a couple of the other guys that as more rumors start to swirl those will start to kind of come out over the next couple of days as well so look guys we appreciate all the comments we appreciate you guys getting involved in these shows as well please do like the video please do hit subscribe if you are not subscribed already and until next time all we can say is bear down bear down bear down